Hi, Ms. Molly. Thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to talking about your job as a health educator. But before we get to the career, let's talk about some of the personal stuff. Okay. So, what were you like when you were 13? When I was 13, <laughs> I was in eighth grade. Ooh, that's a good question. It's funny because I work with middle schoolers, and one of the things, I'm I'm a sexuality educator, and so one of the things that we have students do is talk with their parents about when they were middle school age. And so that is a familiar question to me, but it is one that I have not asked myself or been asked. And so let me think. When I was 13, I I would say starting to think of myself as an activist around environmental issues. I was really interested in the environment and that was, I got my first political t-shirt. I remember writing some essays and like giving a speech that was about the environment. So I feel like that was my first kind of political, sense of my political voice. I was not interested in a lot of the things that my peers were interested in, like boys and boy bands and (laughs) pop stars kind of television and so I think I felt a little bit alienated from that kind of pop culture. Were your friends as as much of an activist as you were? I'd say that is how that is something that we shared you know that was kind of what drew me to my friends was that we were politically interested (laughs) in similar things. So you mentioned that you weren't interested in boy bands and that sort of stuff. So who were some of your role models and influences? Let's see, role models and influences at age 13? 13, 15, just kind of those years, middle school and high school. Middle school, early high school. I grew up in a small town, Forest Grove, Oregon, and I was not really tuned into media like we didn't have a tv when I was growing up and so that was partly like my lack of connection with popular culture so I'd say that my role models were mostly people who I knew you know like teachers people who I had personal relationships with so yeah like teachers adults in my school were you very serious in school about your grades I'd say I was definitely serious about my grades yes what were some of your favorite classes my favorite classes say things that were challenging. Math, not necessarily because I was super into math or physics, but because they were challenging to me and the teachers were engaging. There were teachers who I liked. I also, in high school, was into theater and into journalism. Like I wrote for the school paper. So I really enjoyed that class and that kind of group project. So what would 13-year-old you have thought about your career now? Ooh, I would have probably, well, in some ways, I think my interest in sexuality education started when I was in middle school. I, my mom actually worked at the school where I went to school and so sometimes I would go with her like in the evenings, like after hours, she would have meetings or something and so I'd be in the school after hours and I came across once in the admin wing of the school a bunch of booklets that were from the sex ed classes that I actually, we moved, we lived overseas for a time and so we came back and I missed the sex ed that my peers all got, but I found these booklets in the back, you know, in some office and I was fascinated and I definitely was interested in this topic and then I went to the library and started reading books and like looking for written things because I didn't have conversations with anyone about sexuality and so partly I... I can trace my current career back to that time. And also, I would have 
had a much more abstinence perspective than I do now that young people should not be sexually active and like kind of a just say no message I think I embraced as a young person. And I think now as an adult, I have a more, a less black and white view about sexuality and young people. So it's partly I might have been scandalized and judgmental of the approach that I take now, but also I can see why it's continued to like the through line of my interest in this topic. That's very cool that you like got interested in something so young and that you've kind of like stayed interested in it like for so long. Yes. Yes. And partly it isn't so much the topic. It's that what one thing that I like about my work is that it's about helping people feel comfortable talking with something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's trying to create space for something that's taboo, that is appealing to me, and it's not so much like a passion for sexuality. I think at the time, it, I felt that taboo and I felt that discomfort, and so part of it is wanting to create a different experience for young people than I had. That's very interesting. Going up to high school, how did you go about gaining new skills and interests? There weren't really things for me to do that that were organized. I think if there had been groups like I see young people now connecting Mm -hmm. with, I would have loved to be involved in those kinds of things. And they just were not in my environment. But I was involved in lots of things that were available, like doing theater or writing for the newspaper or different clubs were at my school. So you talked a little bit about how in middle school you were very serious about your grades. Was that pressured at all by your parents? I'd say no. They were happy, I'm sure, that I got good grades and, you know, affirming of me for that. But I think I was enough self-motivated that they didn't have to exert any pressure. (laughs) And my dad talks about remembering a time in elementary school that I kind of realized that grades were a thing or that I could assert myself like try hard and be rewarded and then I just kind of did my own thing. So what were your favorite classes? The challenging ones? AP physics. I liked having that kind of challenging environment and a group of people to work on a shared hard project with. Other classes that I liked? Japanese. I studied Japanese in high school and I liked that. Ended up doing an independent study with some college students to work on Japanese. So you said that you went abroad at one point. What was that all about? Yeah, my mom was a special education teacher in my school and she used to go to the Rotary Club. Do you know what Rotary is? It's kind of like Girl Scouts, but for adults. It's a service club and it's a lot of business people. And so they raise money and then they do service projects in the community. And so she used to go to the Rotary Club to get funding for projects for her students. And another thing that Rotary does is student exchange programs because there's Rotary all over the world. And so they said, oh, Janet, you would be a great person to do an exchange and represent our club in a different place. So she applied to that program and did a, it's like a teacher exchange. And so my family lived in New Zealand for a year and she went to school and then we traveled around and went to different rotary clubs and talked about Oregon and the United States and then learned about New Zealand. And so it was half of my fifth grade year and half of my sixth grade year. That sounds like fun. It was. 
I didn't want to do it initially. Like I didn't. I had you never. You didn't heard. want to leave the country and like. <laughs> I'd never heard the world. of New Zealand. Yeah, I'd never heard of New Zealand, and I didn't want to leave my friends. Hmm. Didn't want to miss out, you know, on whatever was going to happen in fifth and sixth grade. And I'm so glad that I did that. In retrospect, it was really formative for me, just in terms of my worldview. Like. It was my first experience being an outsider. You know, I, I grew up in a small town, mostly white, like most of people who looked like me, kind of middle class. Mm-hmm. My peer group was very homogenous in that way. And so it was my first experience of being like an outsider. Like people made fun of my accent, like the way I talked. I felt different but also I was a little bit of a celebrity so that was like a nice (laughs) way to be an outsider you know like I was an easy a privileged outsider but it was just like a new experience totally new experience and I think I hadn't really questioned you know like the way I do things is the best way or the right way so it was interesting to be with people who had some criticisms of the U.S. government there was some conflict at that time between the United States and New Zealand about nuclear weapons and whether the United States could bring nuclear weapons on ships into New Zealand's waters. So even, you know, my young age, people were like, the United States is causing problems. And I hadn't heard those kinds of Mm -hmm. criticisms. And so it was helpful for me to just see there's more than one way to refer to french fries and there's different words for things there's different ways of being and my way is not always the right way it was good to hear those different perspectives and would you say that's kind of when you started on your whole activism politics oh interesting yeah maybe earlier than i was thinking about my environmental because that was definitely environmentally related yeah save the whales and that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. Maybe the roots are deeper. And my parents were both activists, so I also grew up with some of that. Going back to the whole education thing, college now. Yay. Mm -hmm. How did you choose your college? Mm, I went to visit different ones. I wanted to stay in the Northwest. I didn't want to go really far away, but I didn't want to be in Forest Grove. Like, there's Pacific there, but I wanted to go a little ways away, and I ended up at Reed College. And I just went and visited and thought it. I liked both the academic intensity and also the weirdness. You know, there's like, (laughs) has a reputation for being political and attracting people who are kind of outside the dominant paradigm. Well, I don't know much about Reed. I recognized Columbia, I think, as in Mm -hmm. Ivy League. But that one's in New York, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, not anywhere near Oregon. Not anywhere near Oregon. Uh, that, yeah, no. How did that one... That was kind of random. And I was much older. I was 30 when I lived in New York. So after I went to Reed, I lived for a couple of years in Nicaragua, in Central America. But I ended up in New York because my partner at the time was from right outside of New York. You mentioned that when you went to Reed, you were around many people who were similar to yourself. Was that something that you enjoyed or disliked about or even noticed at the time? So my parents met when they were in the Peace Corps. So I grew up also with that model of that had been a really important experience for them. They met in Morocco. And so I think I wanted to do something similar of go somewhere different and immerse myself in a different culture. And it made sense to me to learn Spanish. And so 
I was looking for Spanish-speaking places, and I didn't want to do the Peace Corps because the U.S. government has a terrible history in Latin America, and I did not want to associate with that history. So I just found an organization that would take me on as a volunteer, and it was in Nicaragua. That was a just kind of connection through a friend. And so I wanted to learn Spanish and be somewhere outside of my comfort zone, and again, just altered my perspective of how life is in different places and the challenges that people have and ways that people build their lives with what they have. And I feel like I developed actually so many of the skills that I use now started at that point. What kind of skills? Yeah, like I like Bell Hooks is a writer, black feminist, amazing activist. She died last year. But she wrote about something called popular education, which was new to me. She was an educator. It was a culturally philosophy of community organizing and education that shapes the work that I do now. And I later, when I went to Nicaragua, they were using that model of community organizing. And so I learned more about it and, and practiced in that context. But so that kind of thing, I started doing peer education. I did gender-based violence, like work around, like to create healthy relationships, help people who are new to campus. It's, a, it's unfortunately a time that a lot of people are exploring their sexuality and people have a lot of hard sexual experiences like when they go away to college. And so trying to do some peer education to help people build, break out of unhealthy gender roles and improve communication and talk more openly about sexuality and sexual health. So that was, I started doing that my first year of college and continued to do a lot of facilitation around race and gender and sexuality among my peers. And I think that those skills helped me get subsequent jobs that I've gotten related to doing that work. Let's go right into your career and your current role. In a nutshell, what is your job? So I work in public health, I work for the health department, and my job is about helping schools and community to provide culturally responsive and open and affirming sexuality education, in a nutshell. So that includes a mix of curriculum, like writing lessons or modifying lessons to be more inclusive, negotiating with school districts about what they're teaching and when they're teaching and who's teaching it, training teachers, modeling a lot of teaching in classrooms. I also work with a lot of culturally specific community-based organizations that can help us make our teaching more culturally affirming and also build their staff capacity to talk about sexuality because that's often not something that they have a lot of experience talking about. So there's some like mutual learning there. Sounds like a lot of work. I love my work. Which is why I'm excited to talk with you about it. (laughs) So a lot of people know what a doctor is, Mm -hmm. um, but personally I've never heard of a health educator. So how would a high school student, let's say, know if it was a career path they wanted to pursue? Yeah, great question because when I was in high school and even when I was in college, I had never heard of public health, which is my my field is public health. And so health educator to me sounds like a health teacher, but actually my like the role of public health is a little bit different. So my title is a little bit of a misnomer because what the role of public health is to look at not just individual level, like I'm teaching you about healthy relationships, but to look at our whole community and think about how we can work for change on a community level or a systems level. And so part of what I do, part of what I love about what I do is that it's about 
social justice because communities that are fair are communities that are healthy. And so I get to work to think about how to change our systems to make them fairer and better for people. So like I was talking with a group of high school students yesterday about unintended pregnancy and what are the reasons that young people get pregnant when they aren't planning to. And people often answer, well, because teenagers are irresponsible or because people are making bad decisions. Think that a public health approach is to look at how can we create communities that support young people in making healthy decisions. So making sexuality education available to them, making contraceptive methods like birth control easily accessible, like not judging people if they're sexually active so that they don't have to hide what they're doing so that they can get the support that they need to be safe and healthy, like helping people have open communication. Like if we help people talk openly about their bodies so that they feel comfortable using words about bodies so that when they're in a relationship, they can talk to their partner. I like this kind of touch. I don't like this other kind of touch. Thinking really about the big picture and who has access to those things. And so the outcomes we see around sexual health, not everyone has the same outcomes. And it's definitely affected by race. It's affected by economics, like how much money people have. And so thinking about how to address those underlying systems to make them more fair and help everyone have access to what they need. That is part of public health. And so it goes back to the things that I've been interested in for a long time, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have language in high school to describe those things. And I didn't know that was a career path. When I got out of college, I knew that I was interested in working with teenagers. And so it ended up that there was a job working with queer and trans youth. And the funding for that kind of work was HIV prevention. So then I was talking about sexuality and sexual health, but it wasn't because I was interested in HIV prevention. It was because I wanted to work with teenagers. And so there was this job that was doing this thing. So it was kind of roundabout and not because I knew anything about public health, but the idea that, and so creating a safe space for people to come together and get information, but also just get social support and affirmation of their identities. Like that is public health. And so it's one thing to like, you know, teach people how to use a condom, but it's also about creating, transforming communities to be more affirming. That's what I, and that's what I love, you know, like that's the activism piece that's about Mm -hmm. addressing homophobia or addressing racial justice, you know, those are the things that I'm passionate about. So you've worked in a variety of roles in your field. Given all the social health issues, women issues, domestic violence, drug use, how did you settle into your current specialization? Well, I feel like when I first got a job at the health department, it was not working specifically with youth, but I wanted to work in that organization. And so I took a job that was a little bit outside of exactly what I wanted to be doing because it was sort of strategic. And then I was able to shape it a little bit into more what I wanted to be doing. But now I'm forgetting the first part of your question. Can you say it again? It looks like you've worked in a variety of roles. And I was curious how you got from all the many, many issues to this current. Yes. So a lot of work in public health is driven by funding. The same way I wanted to work with queer youth and you get grants, which is like how the government or different foundations fund pieces of work. And so that work was funded by HIV prevention. So I learned about HIV prevention 
And then within that, I was able to make a case for how the work that I wanted to be doing, which was more activism and community organizing, is a form of HIV prevention. So similarly, when I started my role at the health department, the funding was HIV prevention because I had that set of skills or background so that I could make a case for being hired. And then what I wanted to do was work with young people. And so then we sought out some funding that was more about school-based work. So it's finding funding for doing the kinds of projects that I am interested in. What are some other careers that fall into the category of what you do? All kinds of work with young people. Like There's a field, it's kind of called youth development, just like helping young people become well-rounded humans and drawing on their strengths. The field of public health is really broad and includes the kind of work that I do and then also includes some more search kinds of things or data collection. The field of epidemiology I had never heard of until I went to graduate school and that's about, and maybe it's more in people's minds now because of COVID. I feel like all of public health is much more visible to people since COVID, but epidemiology is the study of the distribution and determinants of disease in a population. So who's getting sick with what and why, and looking at that on a really big scale, not just individual, like a doctor is looking at what's making your physical body sick, but epidemiology is looking at the whole community. And that's really fascinating. Like I loved that class that I took, and now I have friends who work in the health department and that is what they're doing. You're working much more with numbers and big level questions like that. So that's part of public health, that's really cool. There's also environmental health, and regulation, you know, looking at policies about tobacco, you know, where tobacco is available and how it's marketed to young people or not, like restricting those kinds of things, menthol cigarettes and how African Americans are much more likely to smoke menthol than white people are, and so how those things are marketed or regulated in a way that can promote racial justice, like looking at those kinds of policy level questions is part of my field of public health. That is really cool. When I was in grad school, a lot of programs have internships, and I wanted to do sexual health. That was what I was mostly studying, reproductive and adolescent and child health. But they assigned me an internship at the health department in New York City working on nutrition. And it was this campaign to promote low-fat milk. And I was like, oh, boring. And it turns out that food policy and food systems are really interesting, and I just had no exposure to that. But thinking about agriculture and what the government subsidizes, like the government subsidizes corn production and all of these things that, and milk production for sure, but all of these things that go into creating foods, like fast foods that are not super healthy. And if the government instead subsidized other vegetables like broccoli and like subsidized healthier foods, they would be cheaper. And so it would be less expensive to eat healthy foods. Right now, it's less expensive to eat junk food because the government is subsidizing the production of things that are go into making junk food. So those big level questions that determine our individual health, but on a big scale, is fascinating to me. And yeah, I love it. You said that you did this internship around nutrition in New York. So how did you go from New York back to here, back to Portland? New York is an amazing place, and it was not... My family's here, and so I was always intending to come back. And so I came back, and I started doing some informational interviews, which is something that I recommend when people are job hunting or career 
pursuing, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do, you basically just look for places that you think you might like to work, find an organization or some place that's appealing, and ask to meet with someone and hear about the work that they're doing. And so I went to the state. I was looking for public health jobs, and the state has a youth sexual health program. The county, work right now for the county health department, but they didn't per se have a youth sexual health program. So I went to the state, they and I asked for informational interview, and they happened to be in the process of trying to write a statewide plan for youth sexual health. And so then I got a contract job writing that plan, <laughs> coordinating the, the people who, the, coordinating the process of writing the plan. So that was super good luck. And I think it, yeah, it helped to have a fancy credential because I had just graduated from Columbia. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, so then I did that for probably a year just as it worked as a contractor. And then there was a permanent position that opened at the state being the youth sexual health program coordinator. And I applied for that job and did not get it. And so then I was casting out for something else to do and found a job at the county that was not working with youth, but was a health educator position. And so I switched over to working for the county. It was working with the providers. Part of the education was with our own staff to help them develop skills for talking with clients about sexual health. So they're medically trained, but sometimes their counseling, sort of their health counseling or health education skills, that was what I was helping them develop. So it was more internally focused health education. And so then I encouraged them to get some funding that would enable me to work with youth, (laughs) which they did. So you mentioned taking the role that was available and then changing it to what you kind of wanted to be doing. How did you do that? Was it a lot of like on your knees begging or like planting the seed whispering in the right ears yeah I think using my persuasive powers I think starting out and doing the work that is given doing it well you know doing it the best that you can and then also seeing what the other needs are and making a case for those needs you know like I was assigned to to HIV testing and counseling, you know, distributing condoms, but then I felt like I could make a, an argument, like a persuasive argument to the people, my manager, or supervisors, or mm-hmm. people with power in the program that I was in for why this other work was important. And, you know, I was lucky to be in a place that they were supportive of that. And I, so I think, yeah, building relationships, building trust, you know, from, for, with decision makers and proposing things, making compelling proposals for what it is that you believe in and want to do. I feel like those are really valuable skills, I think, that have been, that have served me. Like, that's been effective for me. So you say you used your skills of persuasion. (laughs) When did you develop those skills? Yeah, when? And how? And how? Oh, that's tricky. I don't know. I, part of it is personality, I think. But I think... Oh, learning, learning persuasive. I feel like writing skills have been really valuable to me. Persuasive writing, which is something my kid is in fourth grade and she's learning, you know, how to, how to write a a persuasive essay, you know, make, decide what your thesis statement is and then Mm -hmm. make some logical arguments. I think those skills are, are, I draw from those. I wasn't ever in debate, but I feel like those, maybe those skills. 
But a lot of it, I feel like, is relationship skills, you know, building trust with people, being a good listener, listening to what is important to people, and being able to connect with that. Those are really valuable skills that I, you know, that we talk about in sex ed, like Mm -hmm. communication skills. Yeah. And is arguably one of the most important parts of your job because you're talking to high schoolers. (laughs) Right. High schoolers. Yeah. So on the line of skills and skill sets, Mm -hmm. uh, are there any skills that you're surprised you use? Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a good question. I, let me think about it for a minute. Skills that I'm surprised I use. We can always come back if you don't have an answer. (laughs) I was just using some graphic design skills that I don't have any official training, but we're developing these puberty education kits, and I ended up being the one with the license on my computer to do Adobe, and so we didn't hand it to the graphic design person, and like, I'm the one doing the graphic design. Like, that's not my my official skill, but I wish I had more actual skills. It gives me some appreciation for the graphic design person's skills. What? I can't think of any other. Nothing comes to mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. So going back to college, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned how your fancy credential helped you get your job with the state. Yeah. With the state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Do you think that has a lot to do with how you've gotten so far, or do you think it's much more of like some of the networking and trust that you've built with your? Yeah, I wonder. I. I actually don't think it matters. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it matters where I went to college or where I went to grad school. I don't know. It would be, I'm curious if it did help me get that first job out of, well, I ended up teaching at PSU also right after grad school. And I definitely think it helped me get that teaching job to have just gone to a public health, you know, a recognized public health program. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that that, that those things have been important. I think that people, there's so many different colleges and that have really different feels and finding somewhere that is appealing and like fits with who you are and what you want to do is much more important than which particular school it is. You know, that someone can get a really good education at a community college or at a state school, you know, a big school Mm -hmm. if that is appealing to you or at a small private school. So I don't think it's so important where you go to school at all as you know what what you create in that experience what things you take advantage of because there's there's opportunities in all of those places to do different mm-hmm. things that can be really useful you know like you can learn some really practical skills at PCC that were not happening at Reed College like I was not learning those practical skills you know career focused skills to if you want to be a paramedic or if you want to be a, so i think finding something that fits what it is that you want or what that you find pleasurable is much more important and then looking for work that that it feels meaningful and I think I would I like I work with a, a lot of young people and I also a lot of people come to me wanting to do the kind of work that I'm doing and people want to have internships or they want to get a job you know like they, mm-hmm. they're doing informational interviews with me because they want to do this kind of work and what I would recommend is practicing like getting getting practical experience you know being a peer educator or being involved in programs where you build that network because often at the health department or in the in the government i feel like it is like people it's who you know you know like mm-hmm. having connections with people which isn't always the fairest way for things to happen and i feel like it's a real privilege to be able to volunteer like a lot of people who don't mm-hmm. come you know like they can't afford to be volunteering so that is 
not so if you can get a paid internship like more power to you in any kind of place because that I feel like open source you know it gives you and gives people valuable experience like what is this work really like I also really recommend working before you go to grad school or working like getting work experience mm-hmm. to help figure out because there's so many different career paths you know and I had no idea when I was started school like what I wanted to yeah like what so giving yourself space to do those things like have those experiences and build those connections I think is more valuable than what specific degree you have or what school you go to I don't think for me those have been the most important things mm-hmm. so you mentioned finding a career path that has to do with like what you're passionate about mm-hmm. and all of that so what other career paths might you have been on if you hadn't gotten the job with State. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think one one of the things that I really loved in college was I did a lot of volunteer work with a lot of different organizations. And I worked with a community service program that was connecting students with lots mm-hmm. of different volunteers. So I was exposed to a lot of different possible jobs in that way and got a lot of experience that I feel like was helpful to me. A lot of kind of free training by volunteering, you know, including being in Nicaragua. I learned so much, like I was volunteering, you know, but it was really offering me, so helping me build so many skills. So I recommend those things. And if I, if I was not working in public health, what might I be doing? I don't, I try to, it's also hard for me to, it's always been hard for me to envision, you know, like when I was working for SMARC, the Sexual Minority Youth Resource Center, before I went to grad school, it was hard, like I loved that work and it was hard for me to imagine, like why would I want to do something different? Why would I want to go to grad school? Because I love what I'm doing. And then I went to grad school. I'm like, oh, public health. There's so many amazing things to do. Yeah. And then now again, I'm like, I love the work that I do. Why would I want to do anything else? But I I imagine if I pursued something else, you know, like I could end up being really excited about nutrition or food (laughs) policy or science, you know, environmental justice. Like there's so many things. So do you ever wish you'd made a different choice about like a college or maybe a opportunity you passed up even? I really debated going abroad in high school and I think that would be a really valuable experience. I didn't, I chose not to, I didn't want to miss out. I have, well, fear of missing out, I never <laughs> want to miss out. And so I... But you missed out on going abroad right, during I missed high out school. Right, I when I had the, Yeah, I could have done that. But you know, yeah, there's so many, there's so many different paths. There's so many different ways, you know, to go. I. I do. I mean, part of me wishes, well, I'm also having some nostalgia for the small town where I grew up. I just <laughs> connected on Facebook with some people like from my childhood, like adults who were from my childhood. And I miss that small town. But also, I would have been exposed to so many more things if I had grown up in Portland, just around. Well, and other places. My partner is from D.C. And we have a multiracial kid. And it is really hard it's been really hard for him to build community, like black community here. And then for her to build black community, like to be exposed to just black experiences because this place is very white. And so I wish that early on I had had an opportunity to have a more racially diverse set of role models. I think that my vision has been very, like white dominant culture has been way too much of a pervasive influence in my thinking and my emotional expression, you know, like in my worldview. And Mm -hmm. I wish that that had been, that my parents had created something different for me. You know, like when we went abroad to New Zealand, like it was also very white. Like they Mm -hmm. didn't have, they grew up in very white 
sort of networks too. And I think that's damaging. I think it's damaging for white people to not be more exposed to other perspectives. You've mentioned a few times doing informational interviews. How would someone who's listened to this podcast and who's been like, oh, this sounds interesting, go about talking to someone like you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like most people like me who work with young people would be really receptive. So anyone that you're encountering who's like has a job that's working with young people would probably be receptive to talking to someone. So you could just call or email. And I, I do get that kind of just out of the blue context like I'm a mm-hmm. student at PSU I'm interested in sexual health can I talk with you sure I'm happy to talk with people like that and I think most people you know I'm just thinking about all of the people who I collaborate with in the health department or in the community of these mm-hmm. culturally specific organizations like people are open to that so I would encourage people like if you see or anyone you know if you see a scientist and you're like that's really fascinating or you hear someone on the radio like mm-hmm. that sounds cool reach out to them. I mean, the only thing you lose is, like, maybe they don't respond to you. Elaborate a little bit. Like, what what websites, where, where would they look to find someone to reach out to? Oh, yeah. Right, because, like, my contact information is nowhere. Like, yeah. how would someone even know? Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> maybe you hear this podcast and then you, <laughs> yeah, I... so you reach out to you. <laughs> you know, like I encounter lots of people. Mm-hmm. Look at, think about the people who you are around, who you encounter. You know, like I teach in lots of different schools. Like people could reach out to me that way. Or the health department, there is a youth sexual health webpage with someone's contact information. And so write to that person and say, I want to talk to someone about their job. Who could I talk to? And those things get passed around. Like, that, they do. They do get passed. Like, if you find the info mm-hmm. on whatever website of an organization you're interested in, because then whoever's answering that will pass it to the appropriate person. And that does happen. Like, I get, you know, things passed to me. Such and such wants to talk with someone. All right. Well, our standard final question. What advice would you give to 13 or 15-year-old you? Yeah, 13 or 15. Well, so there's a lot of dissing on middle school age people, but I just want to say that middle school can be awesome and middle schoolers are, you know, middle school can be hard and embrace who you are. You know, like we're growing and changing and we will always be growing and changing and especially young people of that age. Like there's so many, th- many different ideas to explore and things to be exposed to so I would say keep an open mind ask lots of questions try new things be true to yourself like be you know affirm who you are in all of your quirky weird uniqueness because that is what makes our our world richer all right well thank you so much for coming out and talking to me I'm sure if anyone is listening that they got a very interesting podcast yes i'm so glad to talk with you (laughs)